My Mum Made Me, the show about the wonderful and sometimes the weird ways in which our mums make us who we are today. Hi, it's Paul here. I really hope you're enjoying the show and I'm going to ask you a favour if you are. Please do follow us. If you do, you'll get to hear all of the episodes first and of course it helps with my self-esteem. I'm only joking. Don't forget to rate us. We're currently on 4.9 stars, which is really exciting and every rating makes my mum, Teresa, laugh just a little bit more. Today, I am joined by Shahana, who I was introduced to by a friend of my cousin's actually, who also lives in Toronto, I believe is how, the Torontonians, Torontonians? Torontonians. Torontonians, I was so close, Shahana, I'm so sorry. Shahana is an actor, writer, comic, did you say as well? Mm -hmm. Amazing, multi-talented, multi-channel as well. Shahana, welcome to the show, it's lovely to have you on. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me, I'm so excited to be here. Absolute pleasure. So I think I'm right in saying that around this time of year, Toronto starts to turn the weather starts to turn or is it kind of super hot still yeah it's definitely turning it's one of those like what to wear kind of months where in the morning it's very chilly during the day you're sweating and then at night you gotta put your coat on again but yeah it's starting the, I, I like fall so I'm very excited for the cooler nights I yeah was just talking yesterday with a friend about our extensive jacket collections that we're waiting to break out so yeah, <laughs> I, I'm all about this would you say, given, I mean, Toronto's climate is quite extreme in some respects, very hot, very cold. Would you say you're a better sort of winter dresser or a better summer dresser? Oh, great question. <laughs> I think I'm a better, it's hard. I think I'm a better winter dresser because in the summer I will often just assume it's going to be hot and just be out mm. there and then the weather changes and then I get very, very cold. Whereas in the winter, I am definitely an over-preparer. Like, I'll wear several layers of Spanx and sweaters and jackets. Like, I would rather be too hot out in the winter. Oh, yeah. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think I'm a better dresser for the winter. And for our sort of British listeners, Spanx are, I guess, what we would call long johns. Is that right? Do you know what a long john is? Yes, I do know what a long john yeah. is. I think okay. the proper term is long john. Spanx is more for, like... It's like shapewear, oh. but long johns is for warmth. Just I'll like tell you what, Shahana, I definitely need some Spanx. Certainly <laughs> after an extended summer period of too much fun. Enough about my extended body shape, however. We're here to talk about you and your mum. Can you give your mum, I like to be a little bit of a game with my guests. Can you describe your mum, paint this a sort of visual mental picture, but don't give us her name and I will try and guess her name and probably get it horrendously wrong. Oh, this is going to be so fun. <laughs> so my mom was a professor of political science at a university. She was wow. a very disciplined woman. I like to describe her as a classic Capricorn. She was very like detail-oriented and disciplined and organized. But she was also, I don't know, it's weird because like my relationship to my mom is so different from everyone else's relationship mm. to her. So How so? kind of saw her as like a very you know, almost like not scary, but just like a very can get mad very quickly type of person. Whereas I just saw her as like my mom, like whatever. She's very warm and nurturing. And that's all I saw her as. But people were very scared of her because she used her teacher voice well. <laughs> and what was her teacher voice? Just out of not, I'm not asking for an impression, but like stern. Was it sort of like Harry Potter, Mrs. McGonagall-esque? 
I think it's stern. I have been told that I also have the teacher voice gift. So I think it's the difference between this and this. Was that it okay. might have been too subtle. But there is a little like it's I don't know. I think when I'm angry it just comes out naturally and I'm in a good mood right now. So I don't know if it's if I'm doing it justice. But yeah, it's just a little like it's like imagine your spine getting straight when you're talking. It's mm. just that. Wow. Okay. I don't think I've got quite enough of a mental picture just yet, but I'm, I'm still going to attempt to name because, you know, obviously this is not a scientific process. I'm going to say <laughs> your mom's name. Oof, it might be connected with your name. So I'm going to say Sylvia. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. Was I close? No. Oh my God. Okay. Put me out of my misery. I like the name Sylvia. Sure. Would you like me to share her name now? Yes, please. Yeah, so her name was Hasina. Hasi what a beautiful name. It actually means beautiful. <laughs> oh, no way. Tell us a little bit more about Hasina, if you don't mind. Like her, sort of a little bit about kind of, you know, her childhood, you know, how she, you know, became this sort of quite esteemed academic by the sounds of it. Yeah, so my mom's name is Hasina Sultana. She was born in Bangladesh in 1957. It's where she lived most of her life. She was the fourth of seven siblings. So she kind of was like the middle child in a weird way. Mm. And she was like her brothers and sisters have always described her as the disciplined one. Like she, like I said, classic Capricorn, even as a child was all about, you know, everyone has to be on time. Everyone has to be organized. Everyone has to clean their rooms, et cetera, et cetera. Like she kind of played a second mom role in her family almost. And she was a very good student. She went to school in Bangladesh. She was actually, the town that she was born and raised in is called Narayanganj. Mm. And she was the first woman in Narayanganj to leave her home to get a university degree wow. to pursue her master's. I didn't know this about her until after she died, which makes me very sad because she was sort of like a pioneer in her own time and didn't know. She was, was she, also... was that, sorry to go across to Johnny, was that recognized at the time by her family or by the people yes. there? Yes. Yeah. Her family, her parents, I think especially her mom was not mm. thrilled about it, but my mom was her dad's favorite, like my grandpa's favorite. So my grandpa supported her and so she could go and, you know, get the education that she wanted. So she got her master's in political science and she always enjoyed working with kids. I think she, you know, worked with children while she was getting her education. So after she finished her master's, she decided to pursue teaching and, you know, going the professor route. So she became a professor of political science at the Narayanganj College, which is where she worked I think pretty much, yeah, I think the enti her entire career was there. So I'm going to say she started working there probably in her mid-20s. And we moved away from Bangladesh when she was in her mid-40s. And she spent 20 years at that college. Wow. What an achievement for someone, as you say, from that background. You talk about your mom in the past tense. Has she mm -hmm. passed? Yeah. So my mom passed away in March of 2017. So just over five years ago now. Okay. Thank you for sort of sharing her story. I know it's sort of must be 
you know, sort of fond but sensitive memories. Did you know all of the stuff that you've just shared about your mum as you were growing up? Or has this, you mentioned some of it's come to light actually after her passing. How much did you know kind of as a kid versus now? And has that sort of changed your appreciation of her or your memory of her in a way? Yeah, I think, again, like I said before, like my mom to so many people was so many things. But to me, she was just my mom. So a lot of the things about her that, you know, she was a she started teaching when she was young and she was a really good student and she was a disciplinarian. All of these things I just kind of knew in our family lore. But then there are other things that I learned after she passed away. Like one of the most interesting parts of my grieving journey was when she passed away at the funeral, people kept coming up to me and telling me incredible things about her. So that's how I learned that she was the first person to leave her. She was the first woman to leave her town to get her master's. Like, because someone at the funeral was like, you have no idea how amazing she is. Like, I know she's just your mom to you, but like she has been so much to so many people. Like at the funeral, so many of her students came and just wanted to talk to my brother and I to be like, she was like a mom to all of us too. So again, it's like looking back, you I have a greater appreciation for those qualities of her that I maybe didn't know while she was alive. So it actually kind of makes me love her a little bit more even, mm -hmm. love her and respect her. And just like, I always say that, you know, a lot of women, when they get to an age, they're like, oh my God, I'm turning into my mother. I don't want to be on my mother, all of that. Like, <laughs> I wish I could be more like my mother. I really, truly do. Like, I think she had so many incredible qualities that I would like to emulate. So I always think about that, like, especially after her passing. I was like, I think I, I want to be more like her. I want to figure out how to, like, do what she did. And it's so wonderful to hear you talk about your mom or anyone talk about their mom or, or their dads in such kind of touching ways. You sort of mentioned just then there's a big part of you that, you know, metaphorically, but also really kind of wants to be like her or more like her. In what way and how much of her do you see in yourself? Yeah. So my mom's siblings all constantly tell me that I'm exactly like her, that I look like her. I sound like her. I act like her. I don't see it because, again, <laughs> like the person that she was to me, like I feel like our dynamic doesn't I don't see those sides of her in myself. But, you know, like I think I've mentioned a couple times the discipline thing. Like, I think I am very much that as well. I am very detail-oriented and organized, and I like to have a plan. <laughs> mm. But things about her that I'd like to get better at, like, I think she was one of the most giving people ever. Like, she was so generous with everything, with her time, with her just everything. And I feel like sometimes I think that her being so giving and generous and accommodating made me as her child a bit selfish. I don't know if selfish mm. is the right word, but like because she was so giving. You got it from her. her, yeah. Yeah, I was just mm. taking and that's it. And so now as an adult, I want to actively have a bit more of that sense of like, no, like remember that, yes, you have your world, but there's also a world outside of you and like, remember how to have that generous heart and soul towards the world towards mm. everyone like if someone needs something like do your best to help and support and to you know 
just help out. Like everyone's going through rough shit in life. Just be yeah. present and be as helpful as you can. And what are your memories of her generosity or the kind of the way she was generous? So there must be so many. Yeah, she was, oh gosh, it's hard to pick. So in Bangladesh, there is a lot of, how do I explain this? So I think it's being generous with her time was definitely one where she was always available to everyone. Like truly, we don't know how she did everything she did. <laughs> she worked as a professor during the day. She was a full-time mom. She also was like, you know, taking a teaching course outside. She was, you know, then coming home to make dinner and then also making sure to check in with her sisters. And then while her dad was alive, she was taking care of him. Like she was everything to everyone. And that is something that just boggles my mind. Like I can't <laughs> imagine. Like I just told you that I don't have capacity to do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be that. like, I've done a podcast, I've got a YouTube channel, and I've been promoted to Emeritus Professor of Political Science or something yeah. kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't have the bandwidth to continue a podcast. And she was raising two kids while her husband was away because my dad traveled a lot for work. So she was really the only sort of parent figure I had growing up. She was raising two kids, working a job, taking care of her parents, like everything. She just was... Like, I truly sometimes don't know how she did it. I am 32 years old now, and turning 32 was like a really kind of like a mind-boggling experience for me because I realized that my mom had me when she was 32. So by the time wow. she was my age, she had two yeah. kids, a job, a family, a house, like all of her responsibilities and I am struggling to continue a podcast. <laughs> you know I mean? Do you know what? There, I don't know your mom. I'm getting to know her, which is a real privilege and pleasure on my part. I bet if she's anything like my mom, she would look at what you've achieved or, or kind of encourage you to look at what you've already achieved and sort of sit back and take stock, right? Yeah, I like to think so. I think <laughs> so my sort of creative work, she knew about it, but because she... Like it was pretty early on. She really just saw like the struggle part of it where like going to late night shows, you know, not getting a lot of sleep, not eating properly, like the kind of the grind of it. She was supportive, but she was also like, I just really need you to drink more water and get more sleep. <laughs> so I'd like to think that now, you know, several years later, looking at what I'm doing now, I think she would be like, yes, good job but also was she, water. <laughs> how did she deliver some of this? So I'll give you an example. My mom is so, she's called Teresa. I think she had me when she was 30, so not dissimilar kind of age to your mom. My mom has a way of delivering observations and they're always meant in a really like loving way. And she doesn't quite realize that she's being shady. So for example, if I'm staying at her place, I've got terrible bags for some reason. I don't know why. A hard childhood in the North of England, blame on that. But she obviously notices them whenever I see her. So I'm staying at her house and she'll wake up in the morning. So have you had a coffee this morning? I'm like, yeah, I have actually said, I can tell it's your bags. They're really bad today. I was like, thanks, mom. Thanks for making me feel really good about myself. But like, it doesn't sound like there was that level of shade, but was it kind of like, you mentioned discipline, was it kind of like just effing drink some more water? Oh, interestingly, no. I think she's yeah. surprisingly dry. She would never say like, drink some water. She'd just be like, drink water yet. 
Yeah. <laughs> that was my yeah. Calendar. Even for like if I came home after work, like, did you eat yet? Like it was never. <laughs> she sounds like she was fed up of asking you. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I think that was just her delivery. Like, I don't know. She was kind of dry in some ways, mm. but like that's what worked for us. Like it was. Yeah. And you mentioned cooking in the context of you know the many many things that any parent has to do but obviously a mom you know juggling her bunch of balls i want to tell you a little share with you a little reflection on my mom's cooking but then i kind of want to ask about you know your memories of you know her as a cook as a creator of food the memory for me is this my mom and i've said this before she won't mind me saying this because i think she my mom recognizes this in herself she struggles with cooking i think would be the nice way of putting it certainly my sister and i don't really have like the fondest memories of the meals we used to have as kids and she raised us vegan and this was like in the late 80s so there were you know you either had to be like a really good and really creative cook or it was just not great it got so bad certainly by my memory that my sister <laughs> My sister and I would make up excuses for my mom to leave the table and go into the kitchen. Like, oh, I, I think I think I can hear like the fire alarm going or is that gas? And she'd kind of run back in. And in the time that she was had a back turn whilst walking away, was in the kitchen before she came back, we would pull up the corner of the rug and stuff the food that we didn't want to eat on our plate down underneath the carpet. <laughs> like... We had we had a system, so we would stop the food underneath the carpet, and then you know whatever she you know would finish, she'd go to another room, whatever, and then we'd sort of like squirrel it from underneath the carpet outside, or so we, we, we'd remove it. Mm -hmm. But there was there was a period of about three or four days, maybe three days, where we just forgot, or you know we were kind of distracted, and the food got so rotten. She obviously kind of found out, and you know pulled back the rug to reveal. What was probably, you know, three days of half-chewed, bland tofu and some alfalfa sprouts. And she hit the roof. She was not happy. And she confronted us. She was just like, do you think I'm a bad cook? And we were just like, no, we love your food. It was just so much. And we didn't know what to do. And yeah, anyway, bless her. She will hear this story. She knows this story anyway, because we, we remind her. She'll hear this story and probably sort of remind her about like, you know, her cooking struggles. But my question is, well, two questions, really. What would you have done when presented with some, let's say, stuff you didn't want to eat? I'm assuming you wouldn't stuff it under the carpet. And tell me a little bit about your memories of your mom's cooking as well. Yeah, very interesting because I was actually a very fussy eater as a kid. My mom was not having it. She was like I said, disciplinarian, just when I was very young, like before the age of four, we lived in a joint family household with my dad's parents. So like my grandpa, grandma, and like my dad's siblings. And my grandma spoiled the crap out of me. Like whatever mm. I didn't want to eat, my mom would be like, no, she has to. And my grandma would be like, no, she's baby. Like, leave her alone. Like, she's fine. She'll learn to love vegetables eventually, blah, blah, blah. So, like, the first four years, I just coasted. I ate whatever I want. Like, I yeah. didn't. I was so fussy. Just did whatever I wanted. And grandma was there to protect me. But then once we moved away and it was just, like, my mom, dad, my brother, and I, then things got rough. Not rough, but like I would be very fussy. I often the staple foods in Bangladesh are like rice, vegetables, fish, you know, proteins, whatever. Mm. And I hated rice. 
Like that is the main dish and I did not like it. So I would always try to get out of eating rice and my mom would be like, no, no, you're finishing your food. The classic like there are children starving elsewhere, like be thankful for your food. And when I didn't fall for that, she came up with a very elaborate scenario, which is that if I said I don't want to finish this rice, she would take it and she'd be like, "Okay, I can throw this in the garbage. But just so you know, when we go to sleep tonight, every grain of rice is going to rise out of the trash can (laughs) and go to heaven, to God, to complain about you. So it's got to (laughs) be one complaint per grain of rice. So just keep that in mind. Think about how many grains of rice are in like a cup. I am thinking about it. Yeah. So when she said that, I was like, get it back, get it back. I'll finish it. <laughs> and wow. because of that, to this day, I have a very hard time throwing away food. Even if I am like, I'm not overeating or whatever, but like if I make something and there's leftovers that I don't want, I can't throw it out. I will keep it in my fridge literally for weeks. Like there's fun <laughs> enough. There is a small bowl of rice in my fridge right now that has been there for at least three weeks. I'm not going to eat it, but I can't bring myself to throw it out. It's going to get to the point where it's going to start turning green. And then I'll be like, okay, I have to throw this out now. Yeah. But because of that thing of like, if you waste food, like it's going to God to complain against you, like the every single grain of rice. Well, yeah. at least you, at least you didn't hate something that was sort of more granular and fine, like I don't know couscous. I mean, because that was <laughs> that's a lot more kind of like yeah. complaints. Yeah, you probably heard and saw. I audibly gasped when yeah. you said you didn't like rice as a kid because. Like, if people say to me, you can have one food, like, there's an apocalypse, you can have one food, and only that one food for the rest of your life, for me, it is rice. Like, I kind of feel like, as someone of Iranian heritage, your hatred of rice is a hate crime against my culture. (laughs) Like, (laughs) but I love rice. What? Okay, talk to me about what... You love rice now, yeah. I love it as a kid, but eventually, Mm. I think... Yeah, I think once I, I don't know. Yeah, I love rice. I eat it all the time. It was just as a kid, I was very. No, 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 I get it. I get it. Yeah. My mom was an amazing cook. Like she really, truly was like her whole family had fantastic cooks, but she was very, very, very good in the kitchen. She liked being in the kitchen. Like I think some of my core childhood memories are seeing my mom in the kitchen cooking and humming some song that she likes, like. She was very happy and in her element there. I think also we never did the test, but I am willing to guarantee that my mom's love language is acts of service. And yes, I think a lot of moms who love language is maybe acts of service. Yes. But I think for her, feeding people was like a way of giving love. So it was like, that's why whenever I came home, it was like, did you eat? And if I said no, she'd be like, there's food on the table. Go ahead. And if I had friends over, if my brother had like, you know, coworkers over or whatever, like my mom's favorite thing to do was to feed people. It's how she gave love. And yeah, she was also, I think my favorite part about my mom's cooking was that it was delicious, but it was also surprisingly healthy. So Bangladeshi food can get like, there's a healthy version of it, but there's also a not so healthy version of it. But my mom very early on decided that she was like she wanted us to have like healthy food. I think primarily because when I was two years old, my dad was diagnosed with diabetes 
And so my mom decided to basically overhaul our entire family's diet to match match him. So like my entire childhood was like eating diabetic food. But I don't think it's like it was never bad. Like it was I still remember really enjoying food. But she was she got very good at like cooking healthy, but still making delicious food. Now, before she passed away, she would sometimes like call me into the kitchen to be like, hey, come look at this. Like, I need to teach you how to do this because I love Bangladeshi food. And she was like, I'll be gone someday and you'll need to learn how to do this. And I would never give her the time of day because I think I was just in denial. I was like, you're not going anywhere. What are you talking about? No, I'm not doing this. I don't have time. I'm going to go like out or whatever. So after she passed away, one of my biggest regrets was that I didn't learn how to cook like her i didn't keep any of the recipes or anything so i'm an okay cook but i think one of my biggest like some of my fondest memories of my mom have to do with her cooking because she was just she was so good she was so good and it was also healthy and it was just yeah just yeah oh god i really felt it when you said like one of your biggest regrets was not kind of taking her up on that offer because it's not just an act of service or a kind of love language it's memory passed down physically in a way, you know, your ability to kind of replicate dishes or, you know, particular things she would cook, I think is in a way sort of honoring, you know, anyone, but also kind of being able to like relive those memories as well. Do you have like, do you sort of remember stuff without necessarily actively remembering it? Like, is it, because I remember quite clearly my grandma, my reigning grandma used to come and stay with us for like a couple of months at a time, every couple of years. And she always had this thing where she would put water in the top of the rice, back to rice again. Sorry. Sorry if this is triggering, but like it would be up to the first line of her index finger of worth of water. And I always remember that. I'm like, I can, for some reason it stuck with me. to the point where I told my now partner like if you want to cook good rice you know it's all about the amount of water and the the way you cook it but put this much water in and he had boiled the water and forgotten that he'd boiled the water and stuck his finger in and I was like okay well this is obviously not it's not it's not a foolproof way to measure the amount of water but are there are there those sorts of like little memories of the way she would you know cook or season something or a particular dish that you you didn't learn but you sort of it's in there Yeah, it's one of the, I don't remember her. I mean, I'm sure she said it because I know it, but I don't remember her ever actively telling me this. But she, one of her tricks was if a dish is too salty, add potatoes. And I don't know why I know that, but I know that it's something that like she must have done or said at some point. So it's one of those of like, it was just in the air. I think there, I mean, there must be many more. One of my favorite dishes that she made it's this type of lentil. It's called mashkolayer dal. And she would make like just this lentil with, uh, I don't know what she put in there, but it was so good. And you're supposed to eat it with rice. But me, classic rice eater, I would just put like a bunch of it, lentils in a bowl and eat it like soup. And that is one of those like, I can like feel, as I say it, I can feel the warmth of that soup. Oh, wow. So yeah, things like that just come up of like, I just... Yeah, I sometimes say that, yes, she's gone, but it doesn't really feel like that. I think the first, you know, there is an element of shock with grief. You know, at first there was just like, I just felt very, I don't know, hollow, I guess. But after a while, I think you kind of realize like that she's actually everywhere. Like I never feel like she's not with me. She never has to be in the room 
to be a part of the conversation. Like just the way I am, the way I exist, the way I present in the world, there's so much of my mom that comes through naturally that I don't pick up on, but all my uncles and aunts are like, you're so much like her. <laughs> so yeah, I think like that's one of my, it's kind of one of my favorite things about thinking about my mom is just realizing like she's always around, like she's always here. Do you think she'd be honored by those things by the fact that you you're kind of represent repping her in a way but as you say like she's had that sort of ripple effect through time i would hope so i mean i would like to think that she would be honored i don't know i have this thing of i learned about this from a friend of mine who he is from uganda and in uganda there's this concept of the second life where each person lives one life on earth while they're alive when they pass away, their second life starts through the stories that are told about them. Wow. And so, you know, a lot of my creative work actually has to do with my mom. So I, you know, I wrote and performed a sketch comedy review, a dark sketch comedy review in Toronto called Dead Parents Society. And it was a comedy about grief. And that was a way for me to, you know, understand and process my grief, but also to come to terms with, you know, what that relationship was and how it changes. It has literally transformed me and, you know, transforms me every day. How so? I think I'm evolving every day to become more and more like my mom. <laughs> and I like that. I think the older I'm getting, the more I'm appreciating some of her qualities that I maybe didn't appreciate when I was younger. So she was a very cleanly person. She really like drilled in cleanliness as like the cleanliness, close to godliness, all of that. And she would make my brother and I clean our house every weekend. So every Saturday was, you know, you do this room, you go wipe these, blah, blah, blah. And now, like 20 years later, I feel so uncomfortable if I don't clean on the weekends. Like every weekend I have to do laundry, I have to clean, I have to cook, which I think yeah. is very normal for most people. But for me, it's like there's a ritual of it and it weirdly makes me feel closer to my mom. Like after she passed away, I found myself cleaning our house, like the house that we lived in together like cleaning every corner of it because I just was like, I know that she would like this. And it just made me feel closer to her in some ways. She was a very religious woman and I'm not. So after she passed away, everyone was like, oh, you have to pray. You have to do this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, I don't, I won't. That's not the relationship she and I had. She was religious, but she never pressed that on me. So I don't think she would expect me to honor her in that way so the ways that I can think of honoring her are things that we shared which was like you know taking care of our home and you know cooking a nice meal and like taking care of ourselves so those are the things that I feel I'm really leaning into more and more every day mm. one of my questions actually was going to be about how you honor your mom but what I mean is honor her memory and you sort of already answered it, but it's really interesting to hear you talk in that way because I think for a lot of people, you know, my mom does this with her mom. Her mom's pastor. My grandma passed a long time ago, but, you know, the way of honoring her mom will be to light a candle, go to her grave, you know, those sort of slightly more formal things. But as you say, I think for most people, and it sounds like for you, it's those small acts of 
cleaning at a particular time or the you know the kind of what she instilled in you or certain way of cooking or or, or or other things I guess as well and that I just think that's so beautiful to be able to do it every day almost unconsciously but also consciously as well yeah I think there's like it's actions big and small right like when I think about the ways in which I honor her yes there are the big things I do. So for example, writing a show about her performing, you know, I'm currently writing and developing a second show, which also sort of deals with my life slash my relationship with her. So that's coming out in that. And I'm, I've been working on that show for two years. And it's been, again, like an eye opening process of like, she is so present in everything I do. So those big you know, big reflections can exist too. You know, you can have the whatever big, you know, lighting a candle, visiting their cemetery, all of that you can do too. But also I think it's very important to notice and, you know, appreciate the small actions. Like I think our moms, I mean, your podcast is called My Mom, maybe my mom, <laughs> our moms literally make us exactly who yeah. we are. And yeah. I think it's important to see those parts of ourselves and love those parts of ourselves and appreciate it all the more. Hundred percent. I mean, what a wonderful perspective on life. You very succinctly said, you know, our moms make us who we are, and your mom has or is making you because it's a journey, right? Who you are and are becoming. Who made her? And not necessarily an individual, but what were the influences on her? Do you think that created the woman that she became? Yeah. So I never met my mom's mom she passed away before i was born Mm. but the stories i've heard are like my mom times 10. (laughs) (laughs) wow so from the stories it sounds like my mom was a diluted version of her mom and i'm a diluted version of my mom i think the Mm. like the water's getting more and more i think her influences were i think just her family was so so important to her as i said like she played a role of second mom with her siblings and she also was very, she was actually a very creative person. She was an excellent singer. And so I think the other influence in her life was, you know, the sort of artistic people in her life, which I think she had friends who, you know, made music and she would sing with them and things like that. So, yeah, I think what made her, though, I think is like her, the big sort of family. So she was the fourth of seven. That is a big influence amazing i want to get a little sense from you as to who you think would play her in a biopic of her life (laughs) (laughs) you know what i'm gonna say she's my oh god i always get her name wrong what's her screen name favorite actors yeah but i always get the last name wrong because there are so many emmas the one from Love, actually. Emma Watson? Emma Thompson? Emma Thompson, the Emma British Thompson. actor. Yeah. Yes. Her, and I see oh. and I see a lot of... I feel like, yes, she would do her justice. And is your mom Emma Thompson in Love, actually? Or is she a different kind of era, Emma Thompson? Uh, I think different kind of era. I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of a specific movie. I just think, like, Emma has that sort of... I don't know. I'm struggling to think of like what the word is, but Emma has that vibe, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I feel like she would really slip into that character. I love that. And are there any famous moms that you admire? I I say this 
is slightly, I'm obviously interested in your answer, but I say this slightly thinking about my dad, actually, ironically, who, and this is sort of quite topical given what's happening in the UK at the moment, was, I think, a, a big fan of Princess Diana for whatever reason, you know, and I think for a lot of people in the UK, obviously, you know, our Queen has just passed and it's affecting people in different ways. There is still this memory of the tragedy of someone like Diana, who was a mother to two young sons, and she's kind of remembered in that way. It was actually quite funny because my dad was a fan of Princess Diana. I think most Brits are. My grandma, my Iranian grandma, God bless her, she loved the royal family, the British royal family for some reason, but didn't like Diana. And I just remember when she was staying with us, we would sit down like 9pm when we were kids and there'd be some movie on TV. So we'd kind of watch a movie and she paused the movie for some reason. And she said, Paul, what do you think of Princess Diana? I was like, oh, I think yeah, she's quite nice. You know, she is clearly loving. She's very glamorous. It's like, no, I think she is slut. And I was like, grandma, <laughs> grandma, the misogyny. Honestly, how dare you? But anyway, back to the question. Are there sort of like famous moms that you kind of admire or kind of, you know, spring to mind when you think about, you know, the people in the public? answered. Like when you said famous moms, I immediately thought Princess Diana. That's so interesting. Why? How how come? I think I was quite young when she passed away because I think it was 1996. I was around seven years old around then, I think. Yeah. And it was a big big like it was all over the news in Bangladesh and I just remember like you know seeing it on TV like oh it's so sad blah 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 and then now growing up like I am a huge podcast fan and I've actually listened to like a six-part podcast about Princess Diana and she's so much more like she's obviously an amazing mom but she was so much more so I just Mm. have I'm a big big Diana fan I've become more of a Diana fan in like the last couple of years. So when you said famous moms, I instantly thought Princess Diana. What was it about her that, you know, particularly caught your attention? Or you remember you, you said, you know, she was more than just a mom, more than just a, you know, a kind of figure. Is there anything that springs to mind from what you've listened, either from the podcast series or otherwise? Yeah, just the fact that she was so like a, I feel like feminist sounds too simple, but, you know, she was caught in a, bad situation and she found her way out of it and wanted to you know be happy and you know live her true authentic self like all of that I just really really admire because I don't think like I mean I don't know much about the British monarchy etc I know there's a lot happening right now everything that you've heard is probably true to be fair (laughs) Yeah. yeah I don't know a lot but I do think it seems like a little bit of a rigid system and to have the courage to step out of that and say, I don't care what this does to my reputation. I'm going to be who I am and live my life. Like I just, I think that's great. Agreed. And there's so many wonderful stories actually about Princess Diana, as you can imagine. I don't know if you've heard the one where, so she was apparently very good friends with Freddie Mercury while he was still alive, which is, you know, pretty cool in and of itself, right? Like to, you know, recent history's icons. And she, as you say, felt sort of constricted by this very rigid system. You know, she was married to Charles, whatever. She wasn't really like that. So apparently, so the story goes, he got her dressed up 
as a drag king so sort of you know in male drag so looking like i suppose he kind of like got her dressed up looking like a gay guy in the sort of 70s or 80s and took her to what is still of a famous gay bar in the south of london called the royal Vauxhall tavern so she goes into this bar with freddie mercury completely sort of in disguise basically and as a drag king had an amazing time they parted to the wee hours of the morning and no one knew no one was any the wiser no one knew it was princess diana and the story only came out after freddie mercury's death but i just think that's such a cool bit of history and a great story right that's wild that's so cool it's amazing isn't it yeah well i'm sure there's many many more brilliant stories about princess diana so I want to ask you a couple of questions about your podcast, Shahana, and I'll start with this sort of the sort of simplest one. Finders Grievers, what inspired it and what's the journey been for you? Yeah. So I, as I mentioned before, I lost my mom in March of 2017 and I was 27 years old at the time, which is very young to lose a parent. And I couldn't really, I felt like I couldn't tell my peers about what I was going through because they wouldn't understand or that I would be a bummer and I would, you know, I didn't want to be the person that was a buzzkill, all of that. And so that experience of navigating grief at such a young age when all my peers still had their parents was incredibly isolating. I felt just like an alien all the time where I was, you know, sitting in rooms with friends going like, "Uh uh-huh, yep, 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 all great. And then in my head, it was just like chaos because grief is chaotic. (laughs) So I think I got to a point though, where I was very lucky to meet other comedians and artists and people who had also lost a parent that were also my age. You know, when my mom first died, a lot of my coworkers who were, you know, in their 40s and 50s were like, I know what you're going through. You can talk to me anytime. And I was like, yeah, 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 totally. And I never followed up because like, I didn't want to sit with, you know, Marcy in accounting talking about what her mom was like. Like, I just, I didn't, I wanted to talk to my peers. I wanted to talk to my friends. So when I eventually found people that were in my, whether in my age group or in my, you know, in my sort of interests group of like comedy, talking to those people about grief, it just, opened a whole world for me that truly still takes my breath away because that isolation you feel in grief is so 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 brutal that when you can finally open the portal and meet someone else who has felt it it's like it's an explosion so one of my clearest memories is my friend Jackie Jacqueline Toomey she also lost her dad in 2015 and She and I were at a party a couple months after my mom had died and she was like just standing over there and then like like she came up to me and she was like, hey, like I heard you about your mom. I just wanted to say I'm so sorry. I also lost my dad to cancer. And then we started talking and it was like the strangest thing. It was like a party with the people mingling and chatting And then two women standing in the corner talking about cancer and laughing and crying and just being like, oh, my God, I never thought I would get to talk to anyone about this. So that feeling of connection was truly transformative for me. And from there on, I just went on. I was on a mission. I was like, I'm going to try to talk to as many people as I can about grief, because why do we treat something as universal as grief 
as something to be hidden away. Literally everyone you know has either lost someone or will lose someone at some point. So why do we treat it like we can't talk about it? Like we can talk about it at the hospital when you know the person passes away. We can talk about it at the therapist's office. We can talk about it at home, like whatever. But we can't bring it out in the public. And I just, I don't know what went off in my brain. I was like, my mission is to make grief as public as possible. It is universal and we all need to face it because the more we try to hide it, the more we create that sense of isolation for people who are grieving. And it's really hard. And I think comedy in particular was great for finding that connection because humor is connection. Like when you're laughing at something together, it's because you have, you're like, it's like a Venn diagram. Like both of us find this, see the humor in this. So that particularly for me was like a perfect balance against the isolation of grief. So that inspired me to then create my dark sketch comedy review, Dead Parents Society, with the group of other comedians who had also lost their parents. We did that show pre-pandemic. We did it in November 2019 and then again in March 2020. Our last show was March 14, 2020, the day before lockdown in Canada. So like we did this big production, you know, sold out show. And then the next morning we all went into lockdown and we're just like in isolation completely. And the isolation of the pandemic brought out a different side of my grief that I had not gotten in touch with even in the three years that I had been grieving. And it was mind boggling. Like I just saw there's so much grieving happening in the world during the pandemic, you know, like grieving the old way of life, grieving those who have lost to this disease, grieving normalcy, all of that. And I was like, we're still not talking about fucking grief. Like we are all grieving and we don't want to talk about it. And I'm so tired of it. So then I decided to start my podcast, Finders Grievers. And the concept was simple. I sit down with a comedian, an artist, a creative person and I who has lost someone in their life. And we talk about that person. We talk about their, you know, journey with grief and how they navigated and what they learned from it. Like, just to open up the conversation around grief, because again, I will keep saying this, it is universal and we need to talk about it. So yeah, that's how the podcast started. It has been, oh, it has been such a journey. Like I find it, like every time I talk to someone about this, it re-energizes me and reminds me like why, why I'm on this mission to make grief public. I sometimes call myself hashtag grief gal because like I love talking about it. It's my favorite topic. Yeah, make grief visible because the invisibility of it is what makes it so brutal for people going through it. You know, like I always think that we try to hide our grief, but there is also like I was at a state in my life where I couldn't hide it. Like I was on the subway, like coming home from work and just tears streaming down my face and just people sitting around me being like, mm, hope she's all right. <laughs> like, and no one interacted with you? Nope. Nope. I just was like, yeah, I just need to need to cry on this train ride. And that's that. When I first lost my mom, I would schedule cries during the throughout the day. This is what I mean about being extremely organized and oriented. (laughs) I would schedule a five minute cry in the shower in the morning, then uh, another like 10 minute cry during lunch at work and then another longer cry on the way home from work, which was usually on the subway or like in the car. Like I just how do you deal with a person who can't hide it? Like you have to be able to be open to that person. Like you can't 
shut people's grief out because then like you're just it's perpetuating the problem because again guess what like you don't want to talk about grief pretty soon it's gonna hit you what are you gonna do then not to be a threat but like <laughs> a little bit of like just... stop weaponizing grief shahana <laughs> i will not i will not but i want people to be open to having difficult conversations like it's not the end of the world to feel a little bit of discomfort because the little bit of discomfort you're feeling is actually like it's good for you whether you know it or not it's good for you so be open to that first of all thank you for being so kind of articulate and simultaneously sort of positive about grief is so important and like you say we have all had to deal with it we are going to have to all deal with it ultimately with all of our parents unfortunately and i just think your message of you know reality and positivity and transparency is so important and, and what a wonderful message to end the podcast on shahana thank you so much for joining us you've been an absolute gem oh, thank you so much for having me this was such a lovely conversation i love talking about my mom and i love talking about my grief <laughs>